Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2012, titled Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 3 for April 13 to 19, A Holy and Just God, from the Book of Joel. Sabbath afternoon, April 13. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word this week and we look in the book of Joel, we know that you are a holy and just God, but we ask that your Spirit will guide us as we tread through the words that Joel presents to us from you. And may we gain hope and strength and comfort. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is... Joel chapter 2, verse 11. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? Let's read that again, Joel two eleven. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? The key thought for this week is God can use crises to make his people sensitive to both their dependence on him and their need for spiritual renewal and reformation. In the massive locust plague and severe drought that were devastating the southern kingdom of Judah, the prophet Joel, a contemporary of Amos and Hosea, sees a sign of a great and dreadful day of judgment in Joel 2.31. Confronted with a crisis of such intensity and proportion, he calls all people in Judah to renounce sin and return to God. He describes the locusts as the Lord's army and sees in their coming God's punishment upon unfaithful Israel. Joel prophesies that God's future judgments will make the locust plague pale by comparison. But that same judgment will bring unparalleled blessings to those who are faithful to the Lord and who obey his teachings. That is, no matter how severe, judgment can lead to salvation and redemption for those whose hearts are open to the leading of the Lord. Sunday, April 14, A National Disaster Question. Read Joel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. What is happening in the land of Judah? The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number, 
His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord, and the field is wasted. The land mourns, for the grain is ruined, and the new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up, and the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. The prophet, who lived in an agricultural society, calls upon the farmers to be dismayed at the loss of their grain and fruit harvests. The ecological destruction could cripple the nation's economy for years. In addition to the loss of food, shade and wood, there is a threat of topsoil erosion. For example, some fruit trees in Palestine take 20 years to grow before they become productive. In fact, Agricultural devastation and deforestation were typical tactics of invading armies, seeking to punish those they conquered by making impossible any prospect of a short-term recovery. Question. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 38. How does that help us to understand what is happening in Judah? You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. Joel uses four different terms for the locusts in Joel 1.4 in order to express the intensity and the totality of the plague. The destruction caused by the locusts was made even worse by drought. All of the crops that the farmers had expected have withered and the farmers despair because they have nothing to eat or sell. They do not even have seed for replanting. A calamity of such proportions was unheard of by their ancestors and was something to tell future generations about. The fact that a similar disaster had never happened before heightens the importance of the situation. The prophet also announces the destruction of the dietary staples in the land of Israel, such as grapes, grain and oil. Wheat and barley are the most important grains in Palestine. Vines and fig trees in the Bible symbolize peaceful living with abundance of God's blessing in the promised land. Let's just check First Kings chapter 4 and verse 25 on that point. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. The idyllic image of peace and prosperity is to be able to sit under one's own vine and fig tree. All this now is threatened by divine judgment brought about because of their sins. Harvest was a time of rejoicing. Let's just look at Psalm 4 verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Although the land in Israel was a gift from the Lord, it still belonged to God. Israel was expected to be a faithful steward of the land. Above all, 
the people were expected to worship and obey God because he was the one who had given them the land in the first place. Monday, April 15, Blow the Trumpet When natural disasters occur, they provoke many questions, such as, Why did God allow this to happen? Why have some people lived while others have died? Is there a lesson here that we could learn? Joel had no doubt that the locust plague could lead to a deeper insight into God's universal plan. In chapter 1, under divine inspiration, the prophet relates the national crisis to the spiritual situation in the land. The locusts have left nothing that could be offered as sacrifice to the Lord. The grain offering and the drink offering were part of the daily offering in the temple, in accordance with the instructions recorded in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 40. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. The cutting off of the sacrifices was severe, but it should have served as a warning to the people of their grave condition. The loss of opportunity even to offer the sacrifices symbolized the breaking of the covenant between God and Israel. But unlike many of the other prophets, Joel did not spend much time making an analysis of people's failings. He was interested far more in dwelling on the cure as prescribed by Israel's divine physician. Question. Read Joel, chapter 1, verses 13 to 20. What is Joel saying to the people? However unique the circumstances, in what ways is that which is being said here a plea that is commonly seen throughout the Bible in both the Old and New Testaments. Beginning at verse 13. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests, wail you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles, barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan! The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you. For the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. The prophet urges the spiritual leaders to call a nationwide day of prayer and fasting so that the people can search deep within their hearts, renounce their sins, and return to their God. In this way, they will come out of the experience with a renewed trust in God's love and justice. 
In the end, this disaster might lead the believers into a deeper relationship with their Lord. Throughout Scripture, God is described as the Lord of nature, the one who created it, sustains it, and also uses it for His divine purposes. In this natural disaster, instead of having them rend their garments, the prophet Joel says that the people should rend their hearts and make them open to God's grace and compassion. And so to finish today, disasters may strike us in many forms. When they do, regardless of our understanding of them and their causes, what Bible promises can we cling to for hope and the strength to endure? What promises are especially meaningful to you? Tuesday, April 16, The Gift of God's Spirit Question. Read Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 29 along with Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 21. How is Peter interpreting the prophecy of Joel here? Well, first of all, Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions and also on my men-servants and on my maid-servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And then Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each in his own language, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful words of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, 
and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. On the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter announced that the Lord had fulfilled his promise, as given through Joel, regarding the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Accompanying the outpouring of the Spirit, and as a visible sign of God's supernatural intervention in the history of mankind, God will cause extraordinary phenomena to be seen in nature, both on earth and in the sky. From the book Great Controversy, page 11, we read, In immediate connection with the scenes of the great day of God, the Lord, by the prophet Joel, has promised a special manifestation of his Spirit, in Joel 2.28. This prophecy received a partial fulfilment in the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but it will reach its full accomplishment in the manifestation of divine grace which will attend the closing work of the Gospel. In the immediate context of Joel, repentance will be followed by a great outpouring of God's Spirit. This will bring a wonderful renewal instead of destruction. God's gift of blessings will follow. The Lord reassures his people that his creation will be restored and the nation delivered from oppressors. The Spirit is poured out upon God's people just as the anointing oil was poured upon the heads of those who were elected by God for a special ministry. The Spirit is also a gift of power bestowed on the recipients so that they might do a particular work for God. We read about that in Exodus chapter 31 and verses 2 to 5. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. Only this time the Spirit's manifestation will assume wide proportions. At that great point in history, salvation will be available to all who seek God. God's Spirit will fall on all the faithful, irrespective of age, gender, or social status, in a fulfillment of Moses' wish that all the Lord's people become prophets, and that the Lord put His Spirit upon them. Let's read Numbers 11.29 Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit upon them. So, to finish today, what are things you can do in your own life that can make you more receptive to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Wednesday, April 17, Proclaiming God's Name Joel 2, 31 and 32 reads, 
The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. The darkening of the sun and the changing of the moon to blood should not be understood as natural disasters, but as supernatural signs of the approaching day of the Lord. In Bible times, many pagan nations worshipped heavenly bodies as their gods, something that Moses said the Israelites should never do in Deuteronomy 4.19. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. In this sense, Joel's prophecy is predicting that the idols of the nations will begin to fade away when the Lord comes in judgment. Joel 3.15 adds that even the starry host will lose its power and will no longer give its light because the presence of the Lord's glory will outshine everything. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. Question while Christ's appearance will terrify the unrepentant, how will the righteous welcome their Lord? What is the crucial difference? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, we have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, and that reads, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And Acts chapter 2, and verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And finally, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the Scriptures, the expression to call on the name of the Lord does not only mean to call oneself a follower of the Lord and to claim His promises. It also can mean to proclaim God's name, that is, to be a witness to others about the Lord and what He has done for the world. Abraham built altars and proclaimed God's name in the land of Canaan. We read about that in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. To Moses on Mount Sinai, God proclaimed his goodness and his grace. Exodus chapter 33 verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The psalmist calls on the faithful to give thanks to God and call on his name by making known to the nations what he has done. And we find that in Psalm 105 and verse 1. 
O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. The same words are found in a song of salvation composed by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make, make mention that his name is exalted. Thus, to proclaim the Lord's name means both to be messengers of the glad tidings that God still rules the world, and also to call on the people of the world to view everything in the context of God's deeds and character. It also means to tell everyone about God's generous gift of salvation that is offered to every human being. So to finish the day, what does it mean to you to call on the name of the Lord? How do you do it? and what happens when you do. Thursday, April 18, The Refuge in Times of Trouble, Joel Chapter 3 Biblical prophets compare the coming judgment from God to the roaring of a lion, a sound that makes everyone tremble. As you read in Joel 3.16, The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and a strength of the children of Israel. And also in Amos chapter 1 and verse 2. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. And in the same book, chapter 3 and verse 8. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? In the Bible, Zion designates the location of God's earthly throne in Jerusalem. From this place, God will punish the enemy, but at the same time he will vindicate his people who patiently await his victory. They will share in his triumph when he renews creation. To some people, Scripture's portrayals of God's final judgment are difficult to comprehend. It is good to keep in mind that evil and sin are very real, and that their forces are strong in trying to oppose God and to destroy every form of life. God is an enemy of evil. That is why Joel's words invite us to examine our lives in order to be sure that we are on God's side so that we can be sheltered on the day of judgment. Question. Read Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. How do these texts help us to understand, even during calamitous times, what we have been given in Jesus? And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The Lord sustains those persons 
who persevere in faith. He may bring desolation upon the earth, as we read in Joel chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. For behold, in those days, and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me, swiftly and speedily I will return your retaliation upon your own head, because you have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried into your temples my prized possessions." Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks, that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them, and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off. For the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness. Yet his people should not fear his acts of sovereign judgments, because he has promised to protect them. In verse 16, The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. He has given them his word of assurance. His sovereign and gracious act demonstrate that he is a faithful covenant God who never again will allow the righteous to be put to shame. And We read about that in Joel chapter 2 and verse 27. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Joel's book ends with a vision of a transformed world where a river flows in the midst of the new Jerusalem, the very presence of the eternal God among a forgiven people. We read about that in Joel chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood 
in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I have not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in Zion. This prophetic message challenges us to walk in the Spirit, to pursue Christian living wholeheartedly, and to reach out to all who have not yet called on the name of Christ. As we do, we claim the divine promise of Christ's abiding presence through the Holy Spirit, who dwells in the hearts of his faithful people. So to finish today, from Christ Object Lessons, page 158. We must know our real condition, or we shall not feel our need of Christ's help. We must understand our danger, or we shall not flee to the refuge. We must feel the pain of our wounds, or we shall not desire healing. What is your understanding of your own real condition? What pains are you suffering? How have you experienced the refuge promised to us in Christ? Friday, April 19. The prophet's name Joel was common in Bible times, and it means the Lord is God. This name is appropriate to the overall theme of the book. Only God is completely holy and just, and his work is sovereign on earth. The history of his people, as well as that of the nations, is in his hands. The same holds true for the life of every human being. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 626, we read, The tremendous issues of eternity demand of us something besides an imaginary religion, a religion of words and forms, where truth is kept in the outer court. God calls for a revival and a reformation. The words of the Bible and the Bible alone should be heard from the pulpit. But the Bible has been robbed of its power, and the result is seen in a lowering of the tone of spiritual life. In many sermons of today, there is not that divine manifestation which awakens the conscience and brings life to the soul. The hearers cannot say, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures, as in Luke 24.32? There are many who are crying out for the living God, longing for the divine presence. Let the word of God speak to the heart. Let those who have heard only tradition and human theories and maxims hear the voice of him who can renew the soul unto eternal life. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. What are the ways in which Joel's message is especially important to us, living as we are at the end of time, when serious and sobering events undoubtedly await us? 2. Read the whole book of Joel in one sitting and answer the following questions. To what extent did Joel's message apply to his generation, and to what extent did it have a future application? 3. Joel's book describes various types of divine blessings poured upon God's people. Does this prophecy make a distinction between material and spiritual blessings? If so, how? 4. 
How does our understanding of the great controversy help us to understand the terrible trials and calamities that the world faces? And five, the Ellen G. White statement in Friday's study discusses an imaginary religion. What might that mean? How can we know whether our religion is real or imaginary? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Light in the Jungle, Part 1. The teenager stepped off the bus and looked around. He had never been in a city before, but he had no time to gaze at the tall buildings and busy streets, for he was on a mission. But where should he go? He prayed, God, direct me to the people who keep your Sabbath. Then he started walking. He found himself in front of a theatre and watched as people entered. He felt led to follow them inside, though he didn't know what he would find. Someone welcomed him to the large hall, filling with people. He sat down and waited. One, the teenager, lives in a small village in the jungle of southeastern Ecuador. His people knew little about God. One had received a New Testament while attending a high school in a nearby town and read it eagerly. He had discovered truths about God that fed a hunger in his heart. He asked God to teach him how to follow Jesus. Then, on a trip to another town to buy supplies, Juan had found a tattered book and began reading it. The book confirmed what he had been reading in his Bible and explained the meaning of the keeping of the Sabbath. Juan was determined to find the people who kept the Sabbath. He set out on a three-day hike through the jungle to the nearest large town to search for Sabbath keepers. But no one knew of any Sabbath keepers there. Go to Ambato, someone said. So, Juan spent his few pesos on a bus ticket to Ambato. He arrived late in the afternoon and started walking in search of God's people. Then he found the theatre. A man stood to speak. Juan listened with growing excitement as the man talked about the Sabbath and other truths Juan had found in his Bible. God had guided Juan's footsteps from his jungle home to this theatre so he could find the people who kept his commandments. After the meeting, Juan found the pastor and told him, I want to be baptised. The surprised pastor met with Juan the next day and realised that the boy knew God's word. He agreed to baptise him that Sabbath. Juan had never been inside a Seventh-day Adventist church until the day he was baptised. The pastor wanted Juan to stay in town, but the boy refused. He had to return to share his faith with his fellow villagers. And we'll find more about that story next week, because this is a two-part story. This podcast of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia. 
It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, the Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.